Overthinking It podcast, episode 30! You know, at 30, a podcaster starts to think about certain things. Yeah, maybe this podcast should go back to grad school or something. Maybe it's time for this podcast to consider settling down. You know, maybe, you know, certain things, the values in life, you know, become more important uh, when a podcast goes 30. There was that nice female yeah, podcast that lived across the hall. We're going to start keeping a diary of all the cigarettes we smoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dude, 30, we're here. 30 and, is the new 20, man. And for the first time, uh, for the first time, we have actually a large number of the podcasters sitting around one table and two guys on... Uh, on the phone and on Skype. So we are all going to go around, and as we introduce ourselves, please tell us your biggest Oscar disappointment. Sitting on my right, Mr. Matthew Belinky. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, Mike Lee's movie Happy Go Lucky was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, and it's mostly improvised. My understanding of it is he comes up with sort of an outline, but then they actually improvise the dialogue for every scene. So it seems like... I don't know. As, as somebody who likes to write stuff, I feel like, you know, there must have been something out there that was actually written down beforehand they could have nominated. Fair or unfair? Unfair! <laughs> <laughs> uh, diagonally across the table from me, in an excellent hipster hat, Mr. Jordan Stokes. Hey, how's it going? I kind of, I'm not real happy with Robert Downey Jr. getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it was a funny performance, but it was basically like, hey, do an impression of the, the black father on a 70s black sitcom. And he does it, and that's it. And that's an Oscar? I don't know. Okay, uh, across the a, table from me, Mr. That's Mark what Lee. Berry got it for, right? That's me. My Oscar disappointment yeah. is uh, Synecdoche, New York for anything. Complete whiff. Strike out. Total, totally shut out. Yeah, and even though I didn't really like the movie that much, I'm somehow disappointed that it didn't get nominated. Are you and I the only ones who saw it? What's that? Are you and I the only people who saw it? On the podcast? Like in America. Presumably on the podcast. That's <laughs> yeah. what you mean, right? <laughs> yeah, no, of the, guy, of the guys I'm sure here. Philip Seymour Hoffman's mom showed up, or at least said she did. <laughs> right. She told him, Philly, I totally saw your movie. You were great. You had such great makeup. They make you look totally healthy, but you look like me. It was about death. Is Philip Seymour Hoffman Jewish? That's that story. A man who's often been compared to the Jewish Philip Seymour Hoffman, David <laughs> Schechner. Only in pant size alone, I will tell you that. Uh, oh, my biggest Oscar disappointment uh, is uh, is Wally being relegated to the ghetto of the animated feature. Like, I, I don't see justice in a universe where, like, I don't know, a decade and a half ago, Beauty and the Beast will like make it up to the big league to be like not you know, best feature, but Wally, which is like an achievement in the art of storytelling, is grouped in there with, I don't know, like some direct-to-TV goof, goof troop movie. <laughs> I gotta say, it's interesting that Wally is again nominated for Best Screenplay when essentially the only words are Wally and Eva. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I or, think I hear... quotes from Hello, Dolly. <laughs> I think I hear Peter Fenzel. That's correct. You are correct. <laughs> My biggest Oscar stub has to be the number one highest-grossing movie in British history, Mamma Mia receiving zero Oscar nominations. And not only that, 
But having the gall to nominate Mamma Mia star and breakout performer Meryl Streep for a completely unrelated movie that nobody saw based on a Broadway play that was probably better than the movie was just a slap in the face to every fan of Pierce Brosnan singing and dancing <laughs> this side of the Atlantic or the other. <laughs> you know what? Actually, Pete, doubt what uh, Mamma Mia was also a Broadway play. <laughs> That's right. So Meryl Streep did two Broadway plays this year, and they picked the sad one. Now, I love that. I think it's a great play. But, but yeah, that. the highest-grossing movie in the history of the United Kingdom ever. Yeah, like, did, did you guys all know that, like, that, that you know, Mamma Mia literally in the United Kingdom grossed more than like any of the Lord of the Rings movies, any of the Harry Potter Titanic. movies? Titanic. Yeah, Titanic. Well, yep. doesn't that seem Definitely. weird to any anyone else? Or is, do you maybe you have to be British to understand how much Mamma Mia means over there? Well, that's the kind of xenophobia that leads to Oscar snubs like this that are just <laughs> so completely staggering in their breadth and depth and horror that I just can't bother to analyze or explain them. <laughs> oh, so I don't understand either. But never mind. Uh, and I am Matthew Rather. And my uh, Dark Knight for Best Picture. I gotta say, Dark Knight Best Picture, because this was a year where the summer movies were all actually really pretty cool. I mean, the major Except for ones. Speed Racer. Well, yeah, Speed Racer, I guess, bombed. But, like, <laughs> you know what? There, there was, like, a solid slate of summer movies, and all the prestige pictures are pretty dumb. This year, your whole Benjamin Button, Slumdog Million. You know what? I haven't seen it. I know Matt has an antipathy for it. No, see, that's exactly what I didn't want anyone to say. I like Slumdog Millionaire. I just don't think it's best picture material. And somehow it's going to like come out that like, you know, I want Slumdog Millionaire and everyone associated with it to be like cast into like, you know, the, the fires of, um, I don't know, Hollywood, you know. Ca- no, I, it, I'm fine with Slumdog Millionaire. Please don't kill me, everyone. Cast, man. <laughs> Some of my best friends are Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, also, uh, also we are the Overthinking I've Podcast. Seen... We subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Email is still down. I really ought to get on that, huh? And uh, <laughs> so the way to get in touch with us is to call us on the podcast hotline 20 eat log zero one. That's 203-285-6401. Thanks, everyone who is reviewing us on iTunes. And thank you to everyone who has taken the survey. And if you want to do us a solid, go on to overthinkingit.com and take the podcast survey. It's like five or six questions. They're all non-personally identifiable. And it will help us to know who is listening so that we can sell your ears to advertisers, which is exactly what you want, isn't it? So, uh, so there you go. That's good. So 20 eat log zero one two eight three two eight five six four zero one. There is one man uh, this week who called and has this to say about our last episode. Hey guys, this is Kyle from Ohio. Um, feel free to play this if you want. Um, love the podcast. Love the website. Um, I really love the Back to the Future week you guys just did. I have a little question uh, that's always bothered me. Um, in uh, the first Back to the Future movie, um, you guys you guys sort of touched on this in your podcast uh, about Back to the Future week, but um, there's the whole 88 miles per hour thing. Um, and in the first movie, um, Doc Brown sort of introduces that by putting Einstein in the DeLorean. And then he sort of puts the brakes on um, uh, activates the brakes of the DeLorean and, More than sort of. and makes the wheels start turning and you see the speedometer start going up up and up and up and up and up but the car itself is not going um, and then finally, 
uh, unlocks the brakes and the car goes towards Marty and uh, and Doc Brown and uh, you know the whole thing is disappearing right before it hits them and all that um, showing that Einstein has gone through time um, but, uh, but I was wondering you know what's up with with, with the car staying in one spot and the speedometer going up. Yeah, that is a problem, Kyle from Ohio. First of all, thank you for calling. Uh, we love it when our listeners call. We love that you know you're into the uh, the show. Now, it is a problem that the speedometer goes up while the car stands still. The tachometer that measures the revolution of the engine would go up, but the speedometer would not go up if you you know stomped on the brakes and then revved the engine. I know because I did it this week. <laughs> In my car, just to make sure that I was telling the truth about this, the speedometer actually stays at zero. So that actually really accurately reflects your speed I mean, that, over the ground. Now, in terms of, of like reproducing the experiment, did you do it with a dog as the driver? <laughs> you know I'm a dog, yo. <laughs> also, in a 1984 DeLorean, as opposed to the uh, late 2000 model uh, Oldsmobile that you have. Late 2000 model Oldsmobile, <laughs> early 90s <laughs> model Oldsmobile. I was trying to throw you a bone here. I call her, I call her the sexmobile just to make her feel better. Is that your father's Oldsmobile? Is that your father's Oldsmobile? <laughs> so, yes, that is, that is a problem. There may be a problem actually getting the car up to speed for though the engine is revving at a, you know, a rate equivalent to 88 miles an hour, the car is actually stationary, so it does have to accelerate from that, you know, standing point. Yeah, you, and you then, have to overcome the, the, the coefficient of standing friction to get into the rolling state, right? I mean, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta feed things some gas to get it to move. Blah, 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 I'm a scientist. Actually, no crap about how things work. <laughs> blah, blah, also, blah, also, blah, is, it, is, it, is the DeLorean a stick shift or is it an automatic huh. transmission? Because if it's a stick shift, how is the dog doing it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think you've answered that question right there, unless on his totally awesome remote control that he has. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he can control the transmission of the car. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of wonder, like, out of the 30 years that Doc worked on the time machine, how many of them were, like, figuring out the perfect remote control for the DeLorean? Because that's a big project in itself. I, I want to I yeah. say this. Like, I showed, I showed the clip that was on my, uh, the, the post that I put about, like, the science of Back to the Future. I showed that to a bunch of my colleagues who are all also scientists. And, like, across the board, the first comment they all made was about like how sweet and pimp that that remote control was. <laughs> it's like none of us have any use for anything even remotely resembling that, but we all just wish we did. And by the way, un- unrelated comment, there seems to be a disconnect between the surprise that Doc Brown sort of shows when the time machine actually works and his insistence that he and Marty stand right in its path when it reaches 88 miles an hour. <laughs> that's, that's just for dramatic soul, effect. Right? It is, but I think this is probably something a lot of people who do scientific research or any kind of uh, you know academic work can uh, can relate to. That there comes a point where you're like, I'm finishing my thesis or I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Why not do both? I'm going to take a random teenager with me. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, it was something that we got into a little bit, but the the Marty Doc Brown relationship. It, you know, is one that I think could bear some scrutiny. Or actually, maybe is better left unscrutinized. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I always thought that, uh, 
that like by the end or that is like after I saw it the first time by the end of the movie I thought all right well maybe, maybe the reason why uh, they're friends is that like Doc Brown had this experience in the 50s where this Marty kid from the future came back and then like you know he, he's pretty concerned with like keeping the space time continuum intact so he says all right well look I know that like by the 80s I have to be friends with this kid so like when he finds him he immediately like goes out of his way to befriend him yeah but do, isn't that weird that- like isn't it you know strange older man mad scientist you know crazy white hair looking like Chris Christopher Lloyd uh, yeah. comes up to you know high school student. Yeah, I mean, do you think that he's sort of like, well, I've got to, I've got to befriend this McFly kid to preserve the space-time continuum. Better start coaching little league baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I better get a sweet van with some awesome candy. <laughs> but instead of candy, it's just the giant speaker. It's like, little boy, would you like to see my subwoofer? <laughs> oh, <God>. No. <laughs> yeah, that, that is definitely not a tweeter. It, it is a weird sort of unspoken thing. Like, how often do we think that Marty and Doc Brown are hanging out? Is Marty over there, like, every waking hour? Or do well, they just, like, you know, every once in a while? Dude, know? with that amplifier, wouldn't you be over there every waking hour? But presumably he's never used it before. I think he's never well, you used know it before. He has his own family now, and he's totally, like, calling you on Xbox Live, and they're totally, like, fragging people with Halo. Doc <laughs> <laughs> he ended up going back to the 19th century, and so he doesn't even get to play Halo. It would be very sad, because Halo is a pretty fun game. Here's the thing. If you have a time machine in 1985, right? Yeah. 84? 85. 85. 85. Wouldn't wouldn't you immediately time travel to a place where the clothing sucked less? They thought the clothing was awesome at the time. There was a measurement Like, did you notice how, you know... How the unfortunately late Wendy Jo Sperber was like dressed in these outfits as his sister was dressed in these outfits that looked like parodies of 80s outfits with, you know, shoulder pads that made her look like a Navy Admiral or something. I don't think she looked like a Navy Admiral. <laughs> More like an ensign. I'm saying insofar as they have, you know, insofar as their shoulders are. Don't really hold on. Just keep going. <laughs> uh, well, uh, did we, Kyle from Ohio, did we get your, did we answer your question? I hope so. I yes, it is factually incorrect that the speedometer is going up while the car is standing still. I have a fact to add to that. The way that speedometers tend to work um, is that they, uh, they hook up a, a magnet to your drive shaft. Now, the drive shaft connects directly to the wheels. If the wheels aren't turning, then the drive shaft isn't turning, so you don't have your speedometer go up. But, if you were to, say, uh, hook up the time machine to the car from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or they put it on the wheels and actually have the wheels turning, then the speedometer should move, and uh, theoretically that car could travel through time. But we don't know what it is about the 88 miles an hour that makes it travel through time. It might be, you know, it actually has to be moving 88 miles an hour relative to its surroundings, rather than just the wheels spinning at 88 miles an hour. You know, I mean, like, there's no logical reason it has to be 88 miles an hour. Or so, we don't we don't have the data for that. Jordan, I have a question for you because I think you only recently got your driver's license. How did you learn about this, the magnet and the drive shaft business? That would be Wikipedia. In <laughs> <laughs> your quest to like learn all things driving related and Back to the Future related, you're just exploring like, on Wikipedia. He, he did this while driving, though, which is. Kind of <laughs> But Kyle, if you want to call in a car talk with that same question, definitely call <laughs> us back and let us know what they say. <laughs> yeah, let, let us know if they put you on the air. 
They would love you because your name and location kind of rhyme, and they could just riff on that for a while. Speaking, speaking of location, Kyle, please also call back and let us know your exact longitude and latitude. <laughs> you can use a service such as Google Maps to, to calculate it. And we know Mike from L.A., who actually has started signing his comments on the site Mike from L.A., which I love. Keep it up, Mike, and thanks for reading and for listening. Uh, we know his exact latitude and longitude. We also know Mark Lee's uh, street address. So, ladies. Ladies, start your engines and rev your speedometers up to 88 miles an hour. And go back in time to when yeah. I said to go back in time for the podcast so that we change the space time continuum. Time traveling ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so overthinking a podcast where we all share our locations for creepy people and for time traveling. So what has happened this week? We have a new president, but more on that later. Overthinkingit.com turns one year old. Happy birthday Yay. to making it. Happy birthday, happy birthday to you. We actually, uh, you can't sing that that's a song that's copyrighted and you actually play you didn't sing the whole thing which is good that's how we get around it fair use sorry yeah exactly but like that's a song that you know they have to pay for when they use it in movies wait doesn't pete don't you know the happy birthday song that they used to sing at you worked you worked as a waiter someplace right and they had uh at an applebee's yes i can sing. yeah that's right i probably can't legally sing an applebee's that's also copyright protected damn it we should come up with our own happy birthday song we are on On overthinking it we are nothing if not respectful of intellectual property (laughs) 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 so all of you who are downloading the torrent of this podcast you should be ashamed of yourselves <laughs> uh, no, yes, anything. A well, podcast and lion walk up to leopard. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, so mind. I've said it a bunch of times, but you know, I I got the uh, the smartest, funniest guys and one lady that I know, and we have a website together. So thanks for reading it, and uh, you know, here's hoping the second year is even overthinking it er than the first. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's Barack Obama. Wish yeah. a happy new year to all the Chinese people. Hey, yeah. Lunar New Year. Various Asian cultures that are not Chinese also celebrate the Lunar New Year. Lunar New Year. Wish them Wait. a happy new year after you wish it to the Chinese people because their new year is the one that's happening first, right? <laughs> yeah, but Bubble, I, I know all, all kinds of things about a lunar calendar, let me tell you. And I, I, I don't recall seeing any Rosh Hashanah cards at the Hallmark, all right? <laughs> Yes, happy Lunar New Year to everyone out there. Like, Juner New Year. There was a bit of a mini scandal around the inauguration when it turned out that the, that the, the quartet performing the, the song, the Simple Gifts uh, medley, uh, was not actually performing the Simple Gifts medley. That They, they pulled a, uh, a little Chinese girl. The Olympics opening ceremony, the lip-synced... Uh, High wire vocal performance, which was which was dubbed, but, but not not quite right because they had actually recorded that the day prior inside, and then they just they lip they string synced over right, so their own. So it wasn't like recording. it was another quartet that was better than the, <laughs> what than the better than, string quartet. Are you going to get them at? But better and yet less photogenic somehow. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Millie and Vanilla are going to be playing the cello and viola, like that's some sort of contrapasso. I don't. So I guess I, I was wondering, did they handle this in the only appropriate way, or like was there some sort of a way that they could have? I don't. I think given the weather conditions, from what I've heard, really. Doing it live just would not have been acceptable. But I mean, it was that's January. It was an unexpected weather, so could but, they? And have... that's why they made the recording ahead of time, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I guess, but like, 
I don't know. Is that, I, mean, I guess I'm going to say, is there something party. lame about the fact that they that they were that they were string syncing their performance for the inauguration, or was well, it sort of a wait, different? Is this, thing? this is actually real. Yeah, oh, you didn't okay. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no. All right, no. The, the the quartet actually did. They were pretending to. I mean, I think they did. If you were on the stage with them, they did play it, but they were sort of like. Um, they were not mic'd. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they weren't mic'd. No, they were mic'd. Know, the like, mics were there. They were just not <laughs> feeding in. It was, it was to give the complete visual <laughs> appearance that it was live. Right. But I think most musicians have, have essentially given them the pass and said, "Well, if it were, you know, minus zero degrees, that's not a number. <laughs> minus twenty degrees wind chill." <laughs> Um, with howling wind and other adverse conditions, and you got to make it sound perfect for the fres- pre- freaking president of the United States at the freaking inauguration. Yeah, you're gonna do the recording. They also the strings and wind instruments. Pianos also, but no one gives a fuck about pianos. They just batter the hell out of them. But strings and wind instruments are extremely susceptible to e- extreme temperatures. Yeah, yeah, it, like. It, it just as a wind player, you know, being out there in that type of weather, I, we should all remember what this is like, right? We may or may not have played in a marching band together at some point. There are crazy internet rumors that claim that we were once in a marching band. <laughs> um, but like, I, I, played, I played a sax and a clarinet at various points outside, and like, just trying to get that thing up to temperature so that it would make a note was like an hour long endeavor and wouldn't last if you like. Stopped running air through it at any point. You had to, yeah, you had to hold it between your legs, didn't you? Well, yeah, but but also to keep it warm. <laughs> and by the way, I don't know if everyone knows this, but that piece was actually a John Williams composition. You want a comp arrangement? Arrangement. It's well, a traditional I mean, like shaker, right? He didn't. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think I think it was, you know, I, I I'd say composition. Yeah, I'd say a composition well, based on a shaker theme. You know, it was. You think it was sufficiently fucked around with to call it a composition? I, I, I do. I mean, I feel like if you can't, then then a lot of like Charles Ives stuff is probably not a composition either. You know. Well, and there a lot of you know music appreciators would have to agree with you. I don't know, Jordan. Uh, traditionally, when people think about it's what is it, uh, simple gifts that'll yeah, but yeah, when people think that they think Aaron Copeland and they tend to say that oh he wrote that, which you know it is traditional, but there's a precedent being set for calling it a composition. So this is a John Williams arrangement of the Aaron Copeland arrangement slash composition. Possibly. Um, it was it was interesting hearing something that John Williams wrote that wasn't for like a full symphony orchestra and wasn't you know you know. That I'm making a gesture right now, making a fish shaking gesture, you know, indicating like, you know, da, 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 da. you know, I don't know. It was, it was nice. You wouldn't have known it was John Williams if Jim, I would you call him. John Williams a good composer? I would. I would. He's a, because he's an effective composer. I think that you have to remember John Williams uh, wins all these Academy Awards. Uh, film scoring is one of the areas of the Academy where the nominations are made only by other film composers, and then they're voted on by the Academy at large. That's true. That's true in all the crafts. At all. Okay. Yeah. So the nominations are done by the particular by the particular guilds associated with that craft, mm-hmm. and then the the general awards are voted on by everybody. Yeah. So I mean, John Williams is not just popular with uh, the the unlettered masses. He's, uh, you know, his peers put him up on that pedestal. So he's like Stephen King, where he has the he has the popular appeal and he has sort of the critical stamp of approval. Does Stephen King have the critical stamp? Of- you remember, like a few years ago, Stephen King won sort of like big critics award, and it was sort of controversial because people thought it should have gone to like you know somebody who was not Stephen King. Well, there's you know 
you listen, Daniel Steele. Yeah, I think I think Pete will will back me up here when I say that James Joyce with Ulysses fucked up all art for everyone. You know, <laughs> I, I would back you up, but unfortunately, he fucked up me too. So I'm incapable. I just have these flashbacks. It's really bad. <laughs> I have these flashbacks. It's like my life is this elliptical narrative that's extremely associative. And, you know, it's like I'm getting through the Odyssey just to go through one day. No, where, yeah. where the sort of the modernist idea that art is supposed to be difficult and the best art is the most difficult, you know. Actually, Elliot. But, uh, it's... Benjamin Button was really difficult to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's. Fact. Well, then, then shouldn't the love guru just win best picture? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that did yeah, not have popular appeal, though. Well, which makes it the perfect nominee for best picture. <laughs> that, that does, I don't think that had appeal amongst like people involved in its own production. Huh. Well, there the reason was, there was a nominee for best think... picture is that there was somebody who was part black in the cast, right? And then all the pictures are pretty much of like either foreign people or white people, right? Okay, keep going. I mean, there are no actual black yeah. actors. There's, yeah, there's, there's two uh, women nominated for Best Supporting Actors, and one of them is basically playing Butterfly McQueen, right? So, anyway, I'll get off my high horse and get back on my low horse. <laughs> I mean, Iron Man's best picture, because it's awesome. as laser beams. <laughs> is that better? Hey, but before we go uh, fully into the Oscars stuff and leave the, uh, the inauguration, I want to put... Uh, Put this out to the to the panel here, which is that the very nature of irony itself has changed, or that is definitely under attack. It's threatening. Do we get a graphic for the war on irony? Invented irony. We didn't invent irony. Irony's been around for a long time. Anyway, continue. Right, continue. thousands of years. Can I say, I once met Dave Eggers uh, in college. He came and gave a talk at the college, and this was right after Heartbreaking Work had come out, and so he was really uh, coming to prominence nationally at that point. And um, so he was, at that point, if you read a certain segment of the literary press, he was the poster boy for this disaffected, ironic, hipster... Uh, you know, kind of not engaged whatever Generation X became after it be- was called Generation X and had to be called something else. Like, he was the poster boy for that thing. And there were all these Newsweek editorials about how, you know, irony was bad for America. And, you know, is there irony? And he, Dave Eggers came to the college and he was like, is irony bad for America? A, no. B, fuck you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh... So here's here's my here's my my, my proposition on this is that the unironic way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 he was like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay so here's what I'm saying is that on election night when I saw on St Mark's Place in the East Village people singing belting out the national anthem like that and then on no, the, the concert in front of the Lincoln Memorial uh, Beyonce singing America the Beautiful. And just watching the crowd just sway and soar and have this be for a president who we don't hate. This is what I'm saying. This is why I'm saying. This is why irony is dying. Well, we, you know, we don't, we don't hate the president. We don't hate the chief executive. I mean, maybe you do, but the podcast takes no position on. There uh, were a lot of people who didn't just hate Bush to be cool, but like hated him because he was bad. 
<laughs> Way to be bipartisan there. I mean, I, I, I did it because it was cool. Pete and I hated him before it was cool to hate him. <laughs> what I'm saying is that the I hatred of... I hated him back when he was the owner of the Rangers. Yeah, I was about to say, exactly. I hated him when he was a failed oil executive. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that is that essentially the phenomenon of the Bush presidency has made you know things like America the Beautiful and patriotism... Uh, it, it has perverted them. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And now they've become unperverted. And now they're uh, just earnestly patriotic. Last night, uh, I went to the Meatpacking District Apple Store. And as we were walking up from the West Village into the Meatpacking District, every other trendy boutique had some kind of icon of Barack Obama in the window. In, you know. And it was I. I An thought, icon is a good word for it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I thought I thought not to. And I don't mean to call him this. This is not name calling. But I said to Sheely, who was walking with me, uh, who's not on the podcast tonight, alas, because he's doing heavy metal karaoke, heavy metal live band karaoke. But um, <laughs> he, uh, I said to him, it feels like we're living in a fascist state where yeah, there yeah, are yeah. icons of the leader everywhere. So this is another thing I wanted to talk about now. So does Barack Obama have a cult of personality now? Have we shifted beyond, like, you know, like the the unequivocal now? just bashing the yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. No, Pete's, Pete's right. Pete's right. 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 Now, what do you mean now? But isn't it a cult yeah. of kind of lack of personality? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, right, the Bush was the same way, you know, back in the day that, you know, that, that I think... I think Americans in general like to rally behind these like strong personalities. I mean, theoretically, the president is only one branch of government and doesn't even write any legislation. He just decides whether to sign it or not. But like, we like the idea. Yeah, I think I think we we like the idea that there's like one man in charge, even though technically we're not supposed to. In a time of economic collapse, (laughs) in a place. You're gonna keep going with that? No, I'm glad you interrupted me actually because I had nothing. What kind of place? Well, we're, we're, we're using, oh, okay. No, 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 no. Yeah, I was saying we're all using the living color definition of cult of personality that makes no distinction between Kennedy and Joseph Stalin and Gandhi, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's, different, there's matters of degree when it comes to cult of personality. Like, he's certainly very heavily marketed. He certainly has people who worship him as an icon, pretty much. Um, but is it the same thing? As a, is it really a cogent cult of personality? Because I think one thing with Obama's cult of personality is people import onto Obama the things about themselves that they associate with his presidency. And that is very different from other cults of personality where the icon is meant to communicate to something that's very specific and intrinsic to the icon. You know? Well, right, exactly. It's not – he's not being marketed – well, he is being marketed by a machine in a top-down way. But it feels yeah. like the grassroots, if you will, and I will, uh, the grassroots have kind of adopted this and people are really running with it. Like they weren't the official – you know, campaign and presidency icons that were all over the West Village last night. They were, you know, hand silk screened T-shirts of personally created images and and so forth. So people have taken this on. But I mean, the real test is how long it lasts. You yeah. know, I don't think it's any yeah. trick to be a, like a symbol of, of hope and, and possibility. You know, like in your first week after Bush is finally out the door, the question is like. Are people going to continue to, 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 you know, he, he can do no wrong, or are they going to, like, you know, start criticizing him, like, the minute he actually does anything, you know? I think the criticism will come eventually, but what's going to be different about Obama 
difference from, say, Bush or Clinton or even the first Bush is that I don't think Obama will ever quite become the parody of himself <coughs> that these other presidents have be- that eventually became because he's so even keeled uh, and doesn't have uh, he doesn't look goofy. <laughs> I, I think I, I think uh, he will probably not become the parody, but I think like the country's perception of him could very much like go that way. Like because the expectations are so high, because he's like such this iconic figure that right. like you know when six months from now and the economy is still shit, I think there's going to be a lot higher level of scrutiny, and then we'll return back to irony. Yeah, I'm so in great. other words, I, that's what we're setting up perfectly. Yes, we can. If we turn out we can't. Yes, yes, we can yes. become an excellent and ironic phrase. It would be yeah, like mission accomplished. Well, hold on. That's. I mean, did you read the poll in the Times the day after election day where it was like Americans are hopeful and yet patient? You know, yeah. <laughs> like that is that people seem to realize that there are like a number of big problems facing the country now that. Um, you know, that even a, a leader that we all rally behind can't possibly solve them all? And not right away, certainly, you know. Right, exactly. I that, think people are expecting the economy to turn around. That it is going to take point. at least 18 months for Obama to fix everything. Yeah. Right. Let, let me take a moment here and take off my snarky uh, internet media super, new, new media superstar hat. Oh my god! Look at the shining beauty of personality underneath your... Yeah. Real, look at his hair, man. Yeah. Awesome. Real person here. Dude, that was so good. Yeah. So, so we, I kind of jokingly said, yeah, so if Obama screws up, then yes we can is going to become an ironic phrase. Let me just say that I really hope he doesn't. In other words, I really hope that yes we can. Because if we can't, we are really seriously screwed. Yeah, right? I mean, screwed-er than we are now. Oh, yeah. We're talking about, you know, like, a Mad Max, like, post-apocalyptic uh, future coming our way if and we if can't yes, figure ourselves out. Right, exactly. And if, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and if yes, we can't and becomes, yeah, we can't. Yeah. Uh, we are all royally yeah. screwed. I'm, I'm not equipped to cope with a post-apocalyptic world. I don't have uh, shoulder pads with metal spikes on them. I probably should go out and get them. Yeah, well, you the live in, you, I mean, right near St. Mark's right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the neighborhood for yeah, it. If, if you're if like on the street and you're walking along and you see like a nice box, I would just fold it up, take it with you, put it in your closet just in case. <laughs> There's ever a time in the future where you're like, man, I wish I had like a really nice big box. <laughs> like a refrigerator box with the really right. thick cardboard, the like the half inch cardboard. No, that that would be sweet, but I mean that's something that we can all work our way up to. You know, I hope that maybe maybe by the time I'm like 35 or 40, I can be living in a box like that. Maybe by the time you're 35 or 40, you will have won an Academy Award. Yes, yeah, we can. I, I would settle for the refrigerator <laughs> box, honestly, given the way things are going. <laughs> oh, yes, or we can. Or one out of corrugated cardboard he finds on the street. So you heard our uh, you heard our Oscar complaints. Oh, I'm looking at the nominations now. Wanted doesn't even have a title card on the Oscars site. It's, you know, it's just the general one. That's fine. You know, Wanted, again, totally okay movie. Better than, you know, Benjamin Button, probably. I don't know. I'm hating on Benjamin Button. I haven't seen it. I shouldn't do that. Wait, I've seen it. It's pretty boring. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't seen Wanted. Um, Benjamin Button has a lot of problems I could go into in more detail and perhaps well at some point. But let's keep going. Uh, so, okay. Well, so, uh, you know, on the subject, on the subject of Oscars, I really do mean what I said was, uh, which is that this is the year that 
this is the year that the summer movies were all pretty damn good, and the uh, the art house, the prestige pictures, your Benjamin Buttons, your Frost Nixons, even Doubt, uh, these things were all kind of disappointing, you know. Well, I mean, it right, depends. Say, okay, sorry, go ahead. Now. No, I'm just saying I don't think those are universally held opinions. I mean, a lot of people love Frost Nixon, and I haven't seen Benjamin Button, but who that's loved a- who loved Frost Nixon? I liked Frost Nixon. It was like, but it, it did feel like I was watching the best made-for-TV movie I had ever seen that wasn't called John Adams. <laughs> right. It didn't I have that sort of like swing for the fences, best picture feel. Yeah, doubt it, it had it, doubt had it, problems as well. There were some good performances, but it was kind of a problem. I haven't seen Milk. I've heard that's pretty good. The best made-for-TV movie I've ever seen was a very special story where uh, Zach from Saved by the Bell date rapes Candace Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. My favorite one was where uh, Keanu Reeves was the child of an alcoholic Andy Griffith and had to deal with like the uh, legacy of alcoholism and abuse. Well, I okay, think I, so I think I saw that. So Frost Nixon is a ninety-one on the tomato meter. So apparently, I should shut the fuck up. And, you know, well, I'm I think there's about... critical consensus that this was a weak year Check for serious me. movies. And I'm gonna go to bat for. I'm gonna go to bat for not serious movies. <laughs> I will go to bat for Slumdog Millionaire. I think that that movie is uh, is better than some people think. And uh, I mean, maybe the odds-on favorite for Best Picture now. I'll be pretty happy if it wins. Then some people who are sitting next to me. Oh think. God. Yeah. So uh, why do you hate the wire in Slumdog Millionaire so much, Matt? I just I just think Slumdog Millionaire is like it's pretty by the numbers. You know, there are no big surprises in Slumdog Millionaire. Nobody ever makes like a really uh, unexpected choice or really any choice at all. Like the main character, I think the most exciting choice he makes is probably on the cutting room floor where he decides to get on the show and what he does to get. Did anyone notice that we never figure out how he gets on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Dude, you know what? There aren't any. There aren't any big choices in the. Love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. You know, it's still a great work of. I mean, the biggest choice he makes is to but, wear the bottoms of his so trousers for all. But I'm saying, yeah, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock would be a terrible <laughs> movie. It's not a narrative. There's no surprise in the same way like the Star Spangled Banner either. Dude, you know? <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, no. And, 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 <laughs> why do you fucking they, have to do they, that? No, you realize you just. Can we introduce him at this point? Ryan Sheely just crawled up my ass and. Yeah, I almost dropped the microphone over. I almost ruined the podcast three times within one minute. No, no, do you even know that? Now I have to go through this audio and find that to bleep it out, you douchebag. I show up just to ruin your evening, actually. That's why it's worth the, you know, schlepping all the way over here. That's what we call a, a robust spoiler. It's a spoiler on many interlocking levels. Did you guys ever see that article in the New York Times about uh, how African Americans were consuming cigarettes at larger rates than the population at large? That actually began with the um, with the spoiler, which I'm not going to mention that Ryan just mentioned. Like, I mean, that was spoiled for me by by vulture. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you know that's the what is this? The two wrongs make a right yeah. school of ethical philosophy. Right. It's a cycle of abuse. It, it, it couldn't be a surprise for me, so it can't be a surprise for anyone. This else. is right on point with the wire, actually, because it is a cycle of abuse. You know. That's right. <laughs> I think what's his face? David Kelly, is the guy? <laughs> David Simon. D- David Simon. He-, he would approve of the spoiling, I think. Right. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. So we've added Ryan Sheely to the podcast. How was heavy metal karaoke? It was great. You know, depending on what time we wrap here, I may I may head back. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a Friday night because it's punk rock heavy metal karaoke, um, and so I've been. 
Even though my own pedigree is more in the punk rock, I've been trying to push myself. Tonight I did uh, Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. Nice. Um, Good choice. So there is going to be a jailbreak somewhere in this town. So, uh, <laughs> woman, stay with a friend. So we're talking about Oscar nominations. We opened the podcast by listing, just sounding off, our most disappointing Oscar snubs. I don't know if you have one. Feel free to jump in if you do, or we'll, you know, we can come, we can come to it later. I usually see such a small percentage of the Oscar nominated <laughs> films in a given year. What, you're not going to go see Waltz with Bashir? Uh, you know, I mean, there's lots of movies I want to see, and very few of them, you know, I, I this would be, a, I'd have a lot more to say if, um, if Wally and, uh, and, and The Dark Knight were in the running for Best Picture, because those were two that I saw. Uh, yes. You know, I, I'm planning, I'm planning to see, uh, Slumdog, and I'm planning to see maybe Frost Nixon, but maybe not, I don't know. Um... Yeah, other than that, maybe maybe Benjamin Button. So you're just going to the movies with the sociological... Well, I mean, it's... If for me, the Oscar nominations... In some ways, like, my viewing year starts with the nominations, and it says, well, here's some things I might want to see, uh, and uh, so I rarely ever have, like, anything I'm, I'm hugely... You know what, I'm reading a book right now that I recalled from some poor undergraduate out of the Yale Library, because apparently I can do that, uh, called The Economy of Prestige, Literary Prizes and the Creation of Cultural Value, and it's about how uh, good gets established as a category by things like the Booker Prize and, and things like this, but I think a lot of the insights are directly applicable to the Academy Awards, right? Because we all seem to agree that uh, that there is this category of film that is like a prestige picture for the Oscars. They tend not to make that much money. This year, by and large, they're not as good as the summer blockbusters were. You know, so what the hell is the point of this whole thing? And yet, it's it really is comes down to like egos and personalities and whatnot. But I, I still think that you're you're going a bit too far with this. Like, we can all agree that like you know the nominees for best picture suck this year. They don't suck. I, I have never heard of The Visitor until I, you know, I got to say. Yeah, I don't know. It's not, and not that it's nominated for Best Picture, but it's got a Best Actor and a Best Original Screenplay, and I have no idea. If anyone knows what The Visitor is, leave a comment on the... on the. I know I could find it's it out by Google. Movie, if, if anyone has seen no, it's not. Is yeah, it, if anyone has seen it, The Visitor and wants to elucidate the plot for us, call 20 Eat Log Zero One. Is it honestly another Holocaust movie, The no, Visitor? No, it isn't. It okay, no, good. That was a good guess, though. Yeah, you had like a 30% chance. No, the reader is the one that dropped the Holocaust. Yeah. Right. No, but I mean, there's, uh, a, there's a bunch of them, though. I mean, because you got Defiance about the Holocaust. Not that Defiance got nominated for anything. Either. The reader's a lot, dude. It's about the Holocaust and about, you know, what? Ephibophilia. Uh, right? What? What? That's, 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 teenage, that's teenagers. That's teenagers. That's teenagers. That's a good guess. It's and, a, and by the way, nobody mentioned in their... Sorry, no, nobody mentioned in their Oscar upset, uh, you know, when we were talking about that. But uh, I was kind of annoyed that the, the Bruce Springsteen song, uh, The Wrestler, uh, was sort of mysteriously shut out for, for best song after actually winning the Golden Globe in that same category. And Didn't not, even get nominated. And not one, but two songs from Slumdog. In the running for best song, right? But I mean, I and think even if they weren't were two songs from like Slumdog, I would still feel bad. Sorry, Pete, you go. Oh, I was just saying, 
And there were only three songs that were nominated, so it's not like they were packed full of shock great ideas, you know? They, they could have brought another song in there. Do they cap it at three, or...? They, they do. They cap it at three, and they capped it at three last year as well. The reason why is that, unlike most of the other nominations, if you put another song in there, you're adding, like, 10, 15 minutes to the Oscar ceremony of non-running commercials. You know, so like they need they needed to keep that. Through. You know what, commercials is a totally other interesting thing because by having no Dark Knight for Best Picture, you know, you lose I guess some of the popular appeal of the Oscars, right? In in a time when the telecast has been telecast, what's that? The telecast has been declining in ratings every year, you know, for as long as I can remember. So you're saying that people will the tune in to... is when all the television spontaneously split in twain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so people will tune in and stick around to see if, if Heath Ledger wins for, for the Joker for actor and supporting role and then basically turn it off. Yeah, I guess start so. Reality TV. I don't know. What do you think on that? You want to handicap that? With the, the Heath Ledger thing? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd say it's pretty much a lock, if you ask me. Wait, really? Well, you don't think so? How could they not? How, how, name one of the, those like, Critics Circle Matt, awards Matt, that he hasn't won. These are the people who gave the Best Picture Award to Crash. So, so you're right. basically just saying that, like, you know, anything can happen? I'm saying anything that seems like total crap can happen. You know, that is what we said, you know, on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago when we, when we were, you know, previewing uh, awards week is that, yes, the reason why this is interesting is because crazy stuff like this does happen. Hey, right. It does. If it was just a popularity contest. This actually marks uh, an anniversary for the podcast as well, because I seem to remember that episode one, and if you want episode one, you can't get it on iTunes. I think you have to actually... Track, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to go onto the site, click through to the podcast uh, category on the homepage, and then kind of page back. You'll never it. find uh, it. Don't even try. It takes so long. Yeah, right? Yeah. But it was Belinky and me talking about the best live-action short. Yeah, we saw, we saw five live-action shorts, and we talked, and we were totally wrong about that. Yeah, we are. So you know, I guess if we're handicapping it, you really should go. I guess Heath Ledger then doesn't have a chance. Yeah. Well, uh, Josh broke the supporting Jack actor Russell. though. He's up against. Like he's up against some some heavy hitters like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Doubt, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Josh Brolin got pretty good reviews in Milk, so. But the man died. I mean, they're they're not going to take. Okay, it. so right. which of the other four guys dies before Oscar night? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, if I'm like Josh Brolin at this point, I I consider that it's probably a lot for Heath Ledger, and I start doing publicity stunts. Like I start coming out and being like. I'm going to take that motherfucker down. You know, like, he thinks that he's an actor. Like, this is the, and then, like, or maybe he starts doing a bunch of really dangerous stunts to try to threaten that he might die before Oscars and thus win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. But it would probably be a bigger, better idea if he just, like, created a sort of Jay-Z knot, or better yet, Ice-T Soldier Boy-style feud um, between himself and the late Heath Ledger, just so that everybody could laugh about it when it was over and add a little bit of drama to what is probably, I would consider to be a fairly sure bet. Hey, how did that? How did that end with not with a bang, but with a whimper? The icy soldier boy beef. Uh, no one's seen soldier boy in, in eight months. Uh, we all assume Ice T has murdered him. No, no. <laughs> you haven't heard uh, Birdwalk, the new single uh, with, with the dance. Uh, you got to Google Birdwalk instructional video. Um, it's a little easier than the Soldier Boy tell him. Um, it's kind of more fun, um, and it, he is. And, uh, and he also uh, the other. I think that's actually the second single effort uh, off his new album. Uh, 
I Soldier Boy Tell Him, uh, which is like the. Uh, um, You're kidding me. Nope. <laughs> I wish I I wish I were just making this up, but like my my uh, ad libs are rarely this like fluid and uh, <laughs> l- lacking in lean words. So this is the truth. <laughs> so wait, is it I comma Soldier Boy Tell Him, or is it I comma oh, so Soldier Boy Tell Him? No, no, no. This will teach you how to do the bird walk dance. If you don't know how to do it, by the end of this DVD, you will know how to do the dance. Now, y'all check this out right here. First step to the dance is you got to drop down like so. Drop. <laughs> We're going to do that on the count of three. One, two, three. Second step. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all we'll do of that. You know, you know what he needs to do? He no, needs I'm to. Doing it. I'm learning it. I'm dropping. <laughs> okay, let's pick up. A, we're gonna yeah, pick up a little. Pete's down there now. You got. You can't. <laughs> he drops. He drops. Yeah, like, oh go. He needs to do Drop. Action. He Drop. needs to. Hit. God, don't you wish this was a video podcast, guys? <laughs> what, uh, what Soldier Boy? Then we couldn't do it naked, then. <laughs> <laughs> what Soldier Boy needs to do is an exercise video, man. That would sell like hotcakes. That would actually like. I'll bet he'll be in Barack Obama's President's Council on Physical Fitness. <laughs> you know, he's the man. What does that say about the difference between the... Uh, so he's this era's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> we grew up in a better time. I'm just so in 10 years, he's going to be the governor of California? Jesus. I, don't I can't wait. I don't think he can do a worse job. So. <laughs> no, no. Schwarzenegger's done okay. Has he? No, no. I he's done, ter- is, he's done terrible. The state is bankrupt like several times over. Oh, and okay. he did like a big bond issue or something that just got them wrapped up in more debt. They're like canceling... Ah! <laughs> yeah, it's he though to be fair anyone really would have fucked up California because it's 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 terrible. They have no income because of proposition 13 that limits the amount of property tax you can pay on your, you know, 20 million dollar house to you know, three cents a year. That and they also, you know, banned gay marriage, which shut down the, you know, the fledgling uh, gay marriage, uh, you know, industry. Yeah, all the gay marriage factories shut down. <laughs> yeah. But like, isn't California <laughs> just <laughs> just itself uh, in the? Uh, isn't it like the fifth largest economy in the world? Something like it's that. Eighth. It's eighth. Not for long. What, what's in? What, what Mark said is kind of funny because I've actually heard the argument that like the the shadow government's reason for being against gay marriage is that. Like the gay population, the male gay population in particular is skewed to a much higher tax bracket than the heterosexual population, and that if you can get the taxes out of them individually, uh, you'd, you'd get more revenue out of it than if you allowed them to marry and file jointly. Wow, it's the overthinking a tinfoil hat podcast. <laughs> and now, oh, shadow government is that, is that is that like the like the Dharma initiative? Or the, uh, massive dynamic. <laughs> Wait, do you say Dharma? Do you mean DARPA? <laughs> no. DJ Shadow. Start listening to every JJ Abrams shadow. Uh, I thought we were going for like a Jenna Elfman reference. <laughs> no, here's uh, uh, here's some more Birdwalk. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Music 
you know. I think he's a noise musician, really. He's not he's a hip hop Yeah, he's a noise collect. They're really a noise collective. So, migraine rap in that a few seconds before the song comes on the radio, you start, like, seeing bright lights. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now, is, is this, like... This seems to be like a throwback to like an earlier an earlier era of like popular rock music where like bands would introduce dances that you would then turn into like American bandstand and Dick Clark would teach you how to do it. You know that like I mean it's like, it's like hairspray almost. Oh yeah, this is something I, I wrote a post about this in the early days of the blog. And uh, again, if you you know if you click back and go through the archives, uh, <laughs> one, one of our few soulful <laughs> posts, honestly. So it shouldn't be too hard to find. Until uh, you, you realize the next ten posts I have planned are, are also <laughs> the philosophy of soldier, <laughs> the semiotics of soldier, boy. soldier, soldier boys to men, <laughs> soldier boys to soldier men. A uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a heartrending treatise on the lost boys of yeah yeah. It's about it's about child soldiers in Uganda. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> soldier boys. I would do that dance. <laughs> well, okay. I think that wraps it up for Whatever the. Walk. <laughs> yeah, so close off our Oscar prognostications. Uh, Soldier Boy for a best original song. Yeah, that's in that, right? Yeah. I actually. Oh, you know what? Here it is on the screen. It's all one word. I Soldier Boy. Tell him. It's a, like iPod or iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was like iRobot, but it's like I Soldier Boy. <laughs> well, the first album was called www.soldierboytellem.com. Uh-huh. Was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to create a band called www.myspace.com backslash soldierboytellem. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music would the band play? It does not matter at all. I didn't figure that out. You, can. <laughs> you listen to the indie music. Uh, do, do people still use MySpace? Is that still a thing that people do? Yeah, I think... Because I mean, the barrier to entry is so low? I think a lot of bands use that even more than an official than an official uh, website uh, for posting tour dates. And huh, of, really? Yeah, man, there's, there's this, uh, a band called uh, The Black Kids uh, released an EP on MySpace, and that, just based on these four songs on MySpace garnered a best new music nod from Pitchfork a few years ago. Um, and then, like, six months later, Pitchfork gave them a 0.0 and, and, just, uh, and just showed them with a little picture of two dogs, uh, failed dogs, and said, we're sorry. Um, so, it exists, but, uh, you know... Pitchfork giveth and pitchfork taketh. <laughs> yeah, Blessed exactly. be the name of Pitchfork. <laughs> All right, well, we will leave it there. Uh, Make sure if you have anything that you want to say, don't email us because email is still down. Call us at 20 eat log one That's 203-285-6401. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, especially one that has five stars, we would be most grateful for that. And if you could do us a favor and fill out the six questions of the... Uh, of the listener survey on overthinkingin.com. We would be also most grateful. Oh, hey, oh, there are new t-shirts. There are new t-shirts in our store. You can get them in the t-shirt carousel on overthinking it, including a uh, two brilliant new ones. One by Stokes, uh, which is an, a pixelated picture of bacon that says, uh, I liked bacon before it was cool. 
Uh, credit were due. That was something that Shiwi said to me, and I made into a show. <laughs> My only creative input input was pixelating the bacon. <laughs> that was that's delicious. I was liking bacon before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a solo endeavor. And that's on a, that's on an American Apparel shirt. That's a high quality T shirt. Uh, the other one is a contribution from Belinky, uh, which is a text T shirt. But the text is, "I am so gonna blog about this." <laughs> so you know, wear it in a restaurant where you think the service is subpar or something. You know, pretty much any anywhere in the service economy, people will snap too when they see that you are a new media superstar, a thought leader, leading with thoughts. Rachel and I were at a restaurant once and were asked if we were in the industry. And we, we hesitated too much. And uh, we're like, which industry? And they're like, oh, never mind. We thought you were a restaurant writer. So I was like, God damn it. We would have gotten really good service and maybe free shit. Like, <laughs> Man. I don't think they can give you free shit. Isn't that unethical? Well, whether it's ethical or not, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com. The site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Probably doesn't. Oh, shit. (laughs)